I'll reread the introduction uh, to this whole chapter. I read it last week. I'll, I'll, I'll read it once more. Uh, Burroughs says, Having concluded our study of the lessons we are to learn, we come to the next subdivision, which is the excellence of this grace of contentment. There is indeed a great deal of excellence in contentment. That is, as it were, another lesson for us to learn. The Apostle says, I have learned, as if he should say, Blessed be God for this. Oh, it is a mercy of God to me that I have learned this lesson. I find so much good in this contentment that I would not for a world be without it. So we've learned about what contentment is, and in this chapter, Burroughs is uh, wanting to draw out the excellence of contentment, just how wonderful it is. So we made five observations uh, last Sunday, and we will continue with uh, five more observations today. The sixth excellence is the abundant comforts in a man's life that contentment will bring. Contentment will make a man's life exceedingly sweet and comfortable. Nothing more so than the grace of contentment. I will show how it brings comfort in many ways. This is so true. We've discussed this before. What do men really seek in this world except to be inwardly at peace, inwardly comfortable and content? Uh, men and women spend their whole lives chasing after this to, to be satisfied. And of course they're looking to be satisfied by the things of this world. Uh, here we are learning that true satisfaction comes to us not through the things of this world, but uh, through God alone. Uh, being in a right relationship with Him uh, brings true contentment. Uh, we were made for this. Uh, we talked about this when we discussed the first of the Ten Commandments, that we are to um, have God alone as our God. We are to live for His glory. We are to worship and serve Him. We were created in such a way so as to have communion with God. Uh, and uh, the world uh, is, is a great blessing. There are great blessings in this world, but they're all to be subordinate to that, to the, to the highest blessing of being in a right relationship with God. Uh, and so here Burroughs is simply drawing out uh, this, this truth, uh, fleshing out this truth uh, that contentment uh, brings so many different comforts uh, to, to man. What a man has, he has in a kind of independent way, he says, not depending upon any creature for his comfort. If, if he has contentment in God and in Christ, then whatever a man has, be it much or little, uh, he has in a kind. He has it in a kind of independent way, not depending upon any creature for his comfort. You know, so so there's this inward comfort that we have in God when when we are content in Him, and just we're not we're not dependent upon anyone else. We're not dependent upon the things of the world. We have this comfort in an independent kind of way, is what Burroughs is saying here. If God raises the position of a contented man who is low. He has the love of God in it. It is abundantly more sweet than if he had it and his heart was not contented. For God may grant a discontented man his desire, but he cannot say that it is from love. You know, this book, um, you need to read it. And you need to read it while quiet, I think, because you need to reflect upon it. I was reviewing this outline this morning reading through these various points, and, and we're just speeding through these points. I, I, when I read it earlier in the week and then outlined it, I thought, this is so rich. So I would encourage you to, to do that, to not just um, uh, depend upon our rushed um, treatment of this subject here, uh, but 
uh, to take your time reading this book. What just happened to my voice? Anybody? It changed, right? Now it's good, you say. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, again, uh, what Burroughs is saying here is that if we have contentment, um, and then God determines to bring us from a low position to a high position, we sense God's love in that, in, in that gift. Uh, we sense God's love in that gift when we are brought from a low, content, low place to a high place with contentment in our hearts. The one who is discontent, though, in a low place, uh, the one who is discontent in a low place, if he's brought to a high place, isn't going to sense God's love in that. He'll still be discontent in that high place, won't he? He'll still be inwardly not at peace um, because a, content, a discontent heart does not become content with more of the things of this world. It simply does not. Uh, a, a heart will be content and inwardly at peace only if we find our contentment in God and the things of, of God. This contentment is a comfort to a man's spirit in this that it keeps in his comforts and keeps out whatever may damp his comforts or put out the light of them. You know, I find that some of these phrases are hard to understand um, just as they stand alone. But as you continue to read, uh, Burroughs is so gifted in bringing out the truth of these things through illustration uh, that, that the points become clear. Here is what he means by point C in our outline. He says, I may compare this grace of contentment to a sailor's lantern. A little bit later he says, so many have the light of comfort when there is no storm. But let any affliction come, any storm upon them, and their light is puffed out at once. And what can they know? When the heart is furnished with this grace of contentment, this grace is, as it were, the lantern, and it keeps comfort in the spirit of a man, light in the midst of a storm and tempest. Uh, this is an extended illustration in, in the chapter. I've only given you a portion of it here, but I think he talks about how if... Um, if a sailor is out at sea and he has no lantern and, and the darkness comes and the storm comes, he wishes that he had a lantern more than anything else. That's the one thing he would like is to have some light in the midst of the storm. And if he tries to light a lantern up on the deck when the storm rages, he will not be able to do so. The wind will constantly puff out uh, the source of light. But if he but if he lights the lantern ahead of time and down in the ballast of the ship and then the storm rages, he'll be able to bring it up with him and even... He'll be able to climb to the very top of the mast with that, lamp, that lantern that he lit previously, you know, in, in the hole of the ship there where he was protected from the storm. And I think what Burroughs is encouraging Christians to do here is to be sure that they have contentment now. Don't wait until the trials and tribulations of life come upon you to, to pursue contentment in Christ. Get it now. Have it now when, when, when life is tranquil. And then when life is stormy, if you have that precious gift of contentment, you'll be able to bring it with you wherever you go. And the trials and tribulations of life will not be able to snuff it out. I mean, you, you could, it is a beautiful illustration. You, know, you, you light a lantern and then you put the glass over it and, and that light is there protected in that glass. You know? But if you're trying to light that lantern in the midst of a, of a storm, uh, the winds will just instantaneously blow that light out. It's a beautiful illustration here. Um, and, and it's all under this heading that the excellence um, of contentment is seen in the abundant comforts in a man's life uh, that it brings. 
If we are content, we may be content in good times and in bad. That contentment, if it is, in, if it is rooted in God and in Christ, can never be taken away from us, uh, no matter how, life, how difficult life becomes. Point seven. Contentment draws comfort from those things we do not really possess. Um, this too was kind of a hard statement to understand uh, on the surface. I think Burroughs' point um, is that well, let me get to it under B. Let me read A first and then, and then put it in my words in point B. I forgot that I had done that. A, quoting Burroughs, Perhaps many who have got, not got outward things have more comfort than those who do possess them. Perhaps many who have not got outward things have more comfort than those who do possess them. I've seen this to be true, in fact. You have too, I think. Though a man has not got real possession of such outward wealth, such an outward comfort, yet by the grace of contentment he may get it to himself. By the art of contentment we may bring in the comfort of any condition to ourselves. That is, we may have that comfort by contentment that we should have if we had the thing itself. <laughs> um, what is Burroughs saying here? You don't need the thing that you think will bring you contentment in order to have contentment. You can lay a hold of the contentment without the thing, and you may have the contentment with the thing. Contentment can be yours no matter if you have the outward thing, whatever that thing is, uh, in God and in in Christ. Um, Here's my words. Again, I I wrote them out here. This was my interpretation of what Burroughs is saying. Um, Evidently, I can't write, though. Uh, What are men seeking? When they chase after the things of this world except inward comfort and contentment. The one who is contented in God has the inward comfort the world is chasing after even if they lack the outward things. I think that is the point. And then Hiroboro says, you will find noteworthy, a noteworthy story in Plutarch to illustrate this. By the way, I do like the way that Burroughs quotes heathen philosophers. He calls them heathen philosophers. Why, why does he do this, by the way? I think he's wanting us to see... That even the, the, the non-believer, uh, the best of the heathen philosophers, um, by their observation of the natural world, even they can put their finger on this. They, they don't have the light that we have, the light of Holy Scripture. They, they don't have it or they have no regard for it. But even through their observation of, of the natural world, they can put their finger on some of these truths. And I think Burroughs reasons this way to the Christian. Listen, if the heathens could see this, how much more so should we <laughs> see that these things are true, having the full light of special revelation in our hands. Um, you will find noteworthy, a noteworthy story in Plutarch to illustrate this. In the life of Pyrrhus, one Cineus came to him and would fain, uh, fain means uh, desire, and, and would desire to have him de- desist from the wars and not war with the Romans. So, Cineus comes to Pyrrhus, a ruler, and says, don't go to war. And here is how he reasons with him. What prevents us now from being as quiet and merry together, since we enjoy that immediately without further travel and trouble, which we would seek for abroad, uh, with such shedding of blood and manifest danger? Can you not sit down and be merry now? So a man may think, says Burroughs, if I had such a thing, then I would have another. And if I had that, then I should have more. And what if you had got all you desire, 
then you would be content. Why? You may be content now without them. I've only quoted a portion of uh, that which Sinius said to Pyrrhus. Um, but he reasons with, with the ruler saying, why go to war? Why travel so far? Why so much bloodshed? What, why do you need to conquer that land? What will you do when you conquer that land? And the ruler says, I'll, I'll conquer another. And then what about when you conquer that land? I'll conquer another. And then what about when you conquer all of the lands? What will you do? Then we will sit down and be at peace and we will rest and we will be merry, he says. And I think the, the wisdom of uh, Sinius can be seen here. He says, why don't we just sit down and rest and be merry now? Why don't we just be content with what we possess now? Certainly we can do that now. And it is a beautiful illustration, I think, for the Christian as it pertains to their sojourning in this life. Um, why do you reason this way in your minds? That if only I had this and then that and then this and then that, I would be at peace and merry and content. Uh, you can have the contentment now. It may be that the Lord gives you those things that you think you need to have or that you desire. It may be that He does, but be at peace, be content, even now in God and in Christ. Certainly our contentment does not consist in getting the thing we desire but in God's fashioning our spirits to our conditions. This is not a new concept here, one that's been presented to us before. We think that we will be at peace and content if we have more outward things, but that is not where contentment is found. It's found in God fashioning our spirits, our, our inner man, our inner woman to our conditions. We, we need to be content with the condition that we are in, in Christ. That I may show it further, I would add there is much... There is more comfort even in the grace of contentment than there is in any possessions whatsoever. A man has more comfort in being content without a thing than he could have in the thing that he in a discontented way desires. And here he fleshes out this idea. I would fain or desire to have such a thing and then I could be content. But if I had it, then it would be but the creature that helped my contentment. Whereas now it is the grace of God in my soul that makes me content. And surely it is better to be content with the grace of God in my soul than with enjoying an outward comfort. It is better to be content with the grace of God in my soul than finding contentment in some worldly or outward thing. Two, if I had had such a thing, granted my position might be better, but my soul would not be better. But by contentment my soul is better. I think that is a marvelous point too. Yes, your outward condition might improve as it pertains to your life in this world, but your soul would be no better for it. In fact, your soul might be worse if God were to give you that outward thing. In fact, you might remain, if there is pride in you, in pride. You might remain lusting after the things of this world. If that is in you, that would remain. But if you would lay a hold of contentment now, your soul would be much better. So lay a hold of contentment now. If I become content by having my desire satisfied, that is only self-love. But when I am contented with the hand of God and am willing to be at His disposal, that comes from my love to God. Another marvelous point. And then fourthly, if I am contented because I have what I desire, perhaps I am contented in that one thing. But that one thing does not furnish me with contentment in another thing. If I have once overcome my heart and am contented through the grace of God in my heart, then this makes me content, not only in one particular, but in general, whatever befalls me. I, I just, I loved that point when I first read it. Um, oh, if I only have this, this nice car, I will be happy. 
And you know what? Maybe if you get that car, it does make you happy in that one thing. But if your soul is discontent, though that one thing might make you happy, you're still going to be discontent in general in life because your satisfaction is rooted in the things of this world and not in God. There's still going to be a discontentment within you. But if you find your contentment in God and in His grace, that contentment will be general. Um, No matter what your outward condition is, that contentment will be a general kind of contentment, one that is pervasive in the whole of life. Here in point E, Burroughs says, What is heaven but the rest and quiet of a man's spirit? That is the special thing that makes the life of heaven. There is rest and joy and satisfaction in God. So it is in a contented spirit. There is rest and joy and satisfaction in God. You have heaven while you are on earth when you have a contented spirit. Um, I've said something like this in my preaching recently. What makes heaven heaven? You know, that's how I put it. I think Burroughs is more eloquent than me. Um, But what makes heaven heaven? It's not the streets of gold. Uh, You you know, it's not the environment. It's not the uh, lovely climate or something like that. What what is it? It's that the glory of God fills the entirety of the new heavens and new earth. and, And we are perfectly at peace and at rest in Him. There's no more evil thing to, to disturb us. There's no evil even in our hearts. We're confirmed in grace. There's just perfect peace and, and love and, and joy in the presence of God, with God and with one another. That's the, that's the thing that makes heaven, heaven. You know, all of these things that we see in the book of Revelation portraying heaven to us. I mean, they're, they're, they're telling us something about God in that place and our relationship to Him and to one another. Certainly the, the environment of the new heavens and the new earth will be very pleasant too. I'm not denying that. But it is this peace with God uh, that will make heaven heaven. And I think Burroughs is completely right. We have a taste of heaven on earth when we have a contented spirit through our union and peace with God. F. Therefore be contented and prize this contentment. And be willing to live in this world as long as God shall please. Do not think, oh, that I were delivered from all these afflictions and troubles here in this world. If you were, then you would have more ease yourself. But this is a way of honoring God and manifesting the excellence of grace here. When you are in this conflict of temptation, which God shall not have from you in heaven. So be satisfied and quiet. Be content with your contentment. Be contented with your contentment, he says. You can see why he makes this point after making what is point E in our outline. Um, He has just spoken of what heaven is like, and it may be that some say, well, I wish to go there now. (laughs) I wish to be done with this world and and this this battle. I I wish to be out of this world where I have to fight for contentment. I, I want to be in God's presence and perfectly at peace with Him. And He then goes on to say, hold on a minute. Uh, You should be willing to live in this world as long as God shall please. And here in this section, I haven't included it all, of course. uh, He does make a case that there is a way in which we give a special kind of glory to God here on earth. Um, When we find our contentment in Him in the midst of trials and tribulations. We will not have those trials and tribulations in heaven to contend with. 
we contend with them now, and there is a sense in which we give a special kind of glory to God on earth when we praise Him and find our contentment in Him in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life. So he says, be willing to stay here as long as God shall please. The Apostle Paul spoke this way. He talked about wanting to be in the presence of God and in heaven, wishing to depart, but nevertheless being willing to remain for the sake of the brethren and, and, and for the glory of God. Uh, he, he wrestled with them himself. Heaven was so real to him, he longed to go there, but uh, was willing to stay in order to serve the Lord here in this place. Point number eight is that contentment is a great blessing of God upon the soul. There is God's blessing upon those who are content, upon them and their possessions, and upon all they have. It is the Lord who gives us all things to enjoy. We may have the thing and yet not enjoy it unless God comes in with this blessing. Now whatever you have, you enjoy it. Many men have possessions and do not enjoy them. It is the blessing of God which gives us all things to enjoy. And it is God who through His blessing has fashioned your heart and made it suitable to your circumstances. This is so rich. Um, you see this, it's so sad. There are people who live in this world and have so much and they're just miserable inwardly. They're miserable inwardly. They have great blessings from God, common grace blessings let's say, uh, from God bestowed upon them and they find no pleasure in them. And that is a great, that, that is a great tragedy, isn't it? Uh, but if we have contentment, then this is a blessing upon God, from, from God in this sense. Not only are we content with very little, but when we have some good thing in this world, we're actually able to enjoy it. Um, I, I love what our catechism says uh, regarding the, the, the Lord's Prayer and the petition, Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Lord, would you give us... Um, you know, an adequate portion, a competent portion of the good things of this life. Give us what we need to live. Um, also give us the ability to enjoy your blessing with them, uh, is what our catechism says. I love that little phrase. Lord, give us a competent portion of the good, the good things of this life. Give us also this, this great blessing, that is the ability to, to, to enjoy these things, as from your hand, uh, give us the ability to enjoy these things to your glory, honor, and praise. And it really is amazing to consider how one man could eat a very, a very meager meal, right? A dish of turnips, remember? <laughs> a dish of turnips. And, and, and see God's blessing in those things and give glory to God in, in that meal. Whereas someone can eat very uh, decadent foods, um, very fancy foods, uh, rich foods, and yet not find really any pleasure in it, certainly not to the glory of God. So that is what point eight is drawing our attention to yet again. Contentment is a great blessing of God upon the soul, for when we have contentment we're able to enjoy the good things of this life that God has bestowed upon us. Nine, those who are content may expect reward from God, that God will give them the good of all the things which they are contented to be without now he says, we may, may we, um, excuse me. Now may not we draw an argument from active obedience to passive? There is a good reason why you should expect that God will reward you for all that you are willing to suffer 
as well as for all that you are willing to do. If you are willing to be without such a comfort and mercy when God sees fit, you shall be no loser. Certainly God will reward you either with the comfort or with what shall be as good to you as the comfort. I think I was running out of space in the outline here, so I might have shortchanged this whole section. But it's a wonderful little section here. Um, Those who are content, I read number 9 again, may expect reward from God, that God will give them the good of all the things which they are contented to be without. So if you are contented to be without something, if you are contented to suffer some affliction in life, then you have the contentment without the thing that others may only have with the thing. You have the contentment in the midst of suffering. It's the same contentment that others will only have without the suffering. Does that make any sense? You're looking at me like, no, you make no sense at all right now. I think it's a marvelous point. You need to reflect upon this. And here he talks about um, active and passive obedience. And this quote is really taken out of a broader context here. So maybe that's why it's difficult to understand. But he makes the point here that, 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 God, that God's blessing is upon us when we actively obey Him in something. But His blessing is also upon us if we are willing to actively obey Him in something, even though we do not have the opportunity to do that thing. So if the heart is willing to do something in obedience to God, there is a blessing in that, um, just as there is a blessing in actually doing the thing that God has called us to do. Uh, what would be an example uh, of this? Uh, you know, we, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, so we have neighbors, and we know what neighbors mean in the Scriptures, anyone who is in need in our proximity. But just imagine your physical neighbors that live around you. You, you know, if your neighbor is in need, if they're without food, and you give them food, then... God is pleased with your active obedience in that instance. You, you have done what God requires you to do. But what if your neighbors are not without food? and they, don't do, they do not have that need, and so you do not have the opportunity to be actively obedient in this practical way. But you're willing to do so. There is, there is, that is still pleasing to God. And God does bless you for that willingness to actively obey Him in this thing. And he says the same is true as it pertains to passive obedience, um, as it pertains to suffering. When we suffer and we give glory to God, when we suffer and we are content with Him, that is pleasing to God. His blessing is upon us. Uh, when, when, we, when we suffer, um, and we do not grumble and complain against God, but give Him glory in the midst of suffering. That, that's passive obedience. We, we suffer, and yet we are still obedient to God. That is very pleasing to God. But what if you are in a very comfortable position, and there is no affliction upon you? I think what Burroughs is really pressing upon us here in this point is to say, God is pleased when we are willing to suffer for Him in the heart. Um, who knows if we are willing to suffer for God in the heart. Well, well we have a sense of that. We, we know our own hearts better than anyone else, and God knows. And so He is seeking to move us to be 
in the heart willing both to obey God and to passively suffer for God, even if we do not have the opportunity to do either um, in, in, in the moment. Um, it, it is important for us to be content in God whether we have little or much and to be truly content in the heart so that if the Lord were to take from us that good thing that we have, we would still be at peace in the Lord. That's my attempt to explain what is said here under point 9. Letter B in the outline should be point 10. So 9B should be point 10. And then A and B underneath that. Lastly, by contentment their soul comes to an excellence near to God Himself, yea, the nearest possible. Burroughs has said something like this before. He's talked about how God is content perfectly so. He's contented in Himself in a perfect way. And here he is saying that to be content is to be near to God. It is to be like God. God has said to us, be holy as I am holy. Right? He calls us to this. And this is one of the ways we can apply this is to pursue contentment. For God is content in a perfect way, having all life in Himself. For this word, this is translated content, signifies a self-sufficiency. As I told you in, opening the word, in, in the opening words, a contented man is a self-sufficient man. And what is the great glory of God but to be happy and self-sufficient in Himself? God is the only true self-sufficient one. He is the only one who is truly and perfectly content. And here Burroughs is saying that when we are content, we are like God in this. Point B under section 10. Suppose there were no creatures in the world, and that all the creatures in the world were annihilated. God would remain the same blessed God that He is now. He would not be in a worse condition if all creatures were gone. Neither would a contented heart if God should take away all creatures from Him. A contented heart has enough in the lack of all creatures and would not be more miserable than he is now. Suppose that God should keep you here, and all the creatures that are in the world were taken away, yet you still, having God to be your portion, would be as happy as you are now. Therefore, contentment has a great deal of excellence in it. That's marvelous. I was thinking to myself, people don't tend to think of God this way, do they? They tend to think of God Himself as if He needs us in order to be satisfied or to be happy or to be content. He does not. He is the self-sufficient one. In and of Himself, He is eternally blessed and contented. Uh, He does not find His contentment in the creature. And here Burroughs is calling us to do the same thing. uh, To not find our contentment in the creature. Who does God find His contentment in? Himself. The triune God finds contentment in Himself, eternally so, perfectly so. And as His creatures, who are we to find our contentment in? in? Not ourselves, but in God. God lives for His own glory, if we could put it that way, and, and we are to live for the glory of God. God is content within Himself and we are to find our contentment in Him. Challenging, yes, it's challenging. It's true though, I I think it's hard to argue with. 
Um, all of this is very hard to argue against, uh, but I could feel it in the room. Everyone's thinking, this is, this is a difficult thing, you know. This kind of gets to the root, at some, the root of some things, and, and it, maybe that is why it is, is such a challenging teaching. We have 10 minutes remaining. I made it through this long outline uh, with 10 minutes to spare. So, any questions or comments? Yeah, I think I remember Burroughs addressing that earlier. He talks about how to be content is to be self-sufficient, but he clarifies what he means by that. He does not mean self-sufficient as in in a, in a radically independent way, independent from God, but because we have the love of God in our hearts, you know, we're self-sufficient in God and in Christ. You're, you're completely right, though. Uh, the evil one could distort this ever so slightly, but in a devastating way. Uh, to say, yes, you're to be self-sufficient and independent. You're to have contentment in an independent way, which was said here. But what the evil one means by that is independent even from God. And that is certainly what, not what is being said uh, in, the, in this lesson. Because yeah. I've even heard it from believers. You can do anything. You can have anything. You can be anything. Yeah. You can be yeah, and think of how worldly all of that is at its core, because what does it mean? You can flourish in this world all by yourself, you know, and, and you ought to make this the aim of your life, to have more possessions, to have more wealth, to have more comforts. Um, but it's ignoring God and the fact that sometimes God wills for His people to be in a low position and, and to suffer afflictions in this world. Yes, good. Jesse, did you have...
Yeah. It, it, like I've said many times before in this study, I, I don't want this to come off um, as if this is just easy. It, it, it is a battle, and it's a daily battle. And so, yes, I think we need to be responsible in the world to do what God has called us to do. This does not mean that we're to be without concerns or without cares. There are some things we're to be concerned about. You know, Paul, when he talks about whether or not men should remain single, he, he does say there's some benefit to the single life if you want to devote yourself to the service of God. Because after all, when a man takes a wife, he then has to be concerned for her. You know, he has to be concerned to provide for her. Uh, and so he even and says, uh, this is not to say we're without concerns, um, but I think the key is to be sure that we are doing the right thing with our concerns and that we are being responsible uh, creatures of God, uh, obedient creatures of God in this world uh, while resting continuously in Him and, and depending upon Him uh, for, for all things, for, for all strength, and then even finding our satisfaction in Him as it pertains to our current condition. It, 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 it has to drive us to prayer constantly. I think prayer is so key in, in all of this. We have to take all of our desires, all of our concerns to God in prayer. Uh, we have to be sure that we are content in Him while we deal with the true afflictions that come upon us in this life, while we seek to solve the true problems that we face in life. Um, we are not being called here to be irresponsible or negligent. Earlier in this book, remember Burroughs says, we're not, to, we're not to say that afflictions are not afflictions. They are. We're to call them that. We're to recognize them as that. But in the midst of the afflictions, we're to run to God and we're to find our satisfaction with Him. So it is an attitudinal thing. It's, a, it's something that happens in the heart and in the soul. And it is a war. So we're to pursue contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, I didn't. I think that was printed at the bottom of the, the lesson from last week. Think about that. Godliness with contentment. What does the word godliness point to? What, what is the word godliness there in Paul's letter to Timothy uh, imploring us to do? Live right. Do what God has commanded. So godliness there uh, really points to the active side of our obedience, isn't it? So live godly lives. Actively obey uh, the Lord. Be responsible. Be diligent. Be hardworking. Be wise. All of that is true. Godliness combined with, paired up with contentment, those two things together, that's great gain. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy as, as a, a minister of the gospel. Like, Make sure you have these things. Be godly, Timothy. Actively obey the Lord. Be responsible um, in every realm of life. But be sure that as you are doing that, you are simultaneously content in God. That you are content in God. Those two things have to be paired up. They have to go hand in hand. Those two things together are a great gain. Does that make sense? Yeah. Chad?
Yeah, I think that's a very important observation. Um, that, see, that's the thing. Is it... In this study, I hope this has come out to you. God is not saying, don't love created things. He's not saying that. Nowhere does, do the scriptures say, don't love created things. In fact, what just came out in this lesson, I hope, is that it is right to really enjoy the blessings of this life. To, to love them. When does this become a problem? The, the love that we have for, for created things. When it, when it consumes us, when it becomes ultimate, uh, when it's lacking in terms of our supreme love for God. It's just strange how we do this. We, we go to these dichotomies all the time, right? Well, either I love God or I love the things of this world. It's got to be one or the other, we think. That's not true. We should love the things of this world to the glory of God. The point is that we cannot find our satisfaction ultimately in the things of this world. Did you hear the word ultimately? See, we're not even saying that we're not allowed to take satisfaction in the things of this world. Like there are, there are blessings from God that we enjoy in this world that it is perfectly right for us to take some satisfaction in. Like when you eat a good meal, it is evil for you to not give thanks to God for that. And to, and to, and to enjoy it. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the drink. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your friend. Take satisfaction in these things. In fact, you should be taking more satisfaction in these things than you are right now. I would bet all of us, this is probably true of all of us, we sometimes eat and we don't even think about how satisfying the food is. That's wrong. Or, or you know, we, we interact with a good friend and we don't even think of what a blessing it is to have that friend or, or to have that spouse. There's, there's evil in that. We should take more satisfaction in the things of this world. I mean, does that sound strange? It shouldn't sound strange. The point is that we give glory to God in all of these things. We see these as blessings from His hand and as tokens of love from Him. So ultimately, these good things in life that we enjoy, we're, we're, we're to enjoy God in them. We're to love Him and enjoy Him and find our satisfaction in Him supremely. And when we enjoy the good things of this life, we are to see them as gifts from Him, as tokens of love from Him. So, yes, I agree with what you just said, Chad, and that's my desire to elaborate upon that even more. Again, contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not irresponsibility. Contentment does not mean we cannot enjoy the things of this world. We must, etc. We have to think clearly about all of these things and and not be so radical, I think, in our view of the distinction between God and His creation and the enjoyment that we're to take in both in the right way. All things to the glory of God. We're out of time now, and I went over, as I always do, and uh, so we'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this rich study. Help us, O Lord. Give us this gift of contentment, no matter what our current situation in life is. Uh, help us to lay a hold of godliness and in contentment and contentment now. May it be ours so that we may carry this light with us 
wherever we go, into whatever circumstance the future holds. We thank you for your love for us. Help us to do all things, to eat and to drink, to the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.